it was a long time ago, um, over 35 years ago, that I began to date Karen, uh, Karen Nutt, uh, over at University Baptist Church. And um, actually, she was the very first Christian I ever dated. Uh, I'd just been saved a year or so, and so I didn't know how to, anyway, I was just very nervous and didn't want to offend her in any way. So I, I took her, after about a week or so, I took her to, she very quiet, very reserved, very dignified, very ladylike. Uh, the first girl I ever dated that when we went to get in her car to go somewhere, she handed me the keys. I said, you drive, because that's what we do down south. She didn't say that, but I just took that. So we went to a football game over at University Christian, and uh, we were sitting on the stands watching the game and got about a quarter into it. And uh, there she sat, quiet and reserved, ladylike, as she always has been. Uh, and uh, apparently the other team had a good run down the sidelines, and the university was trying to tackle them. And, and all of a sudden, Karen stood up and screamed, Kill him! Kill him! Rip his head off! Rip his head off! And then she realized where she was and that I was sitting there, and she went, And I thought to myself, and I have said many times afterward, I didn't say it that day, but I thought it, you can take the girl out of the west side, but you can't get that west side out of a girl. That is also true of religion. You can take people out of religion, but it's awfully hard to get religion out of people. There's something within us that fights the fact that God does all, that God is all, that our salvation is fully in his incredible hands. I didn't give the text that we're going to look at this morning to Caleb, but I thought the second to last song was incredibly appropriate that what we have in salvation is finished. Religion says this, do this to get to God. Do something to get to him. Do something to please him. And if you, don't, if you think that religion hasn't crept into gospel churches, I'm not talking about mainline churches, I'm talking about gospel preaching churches. Like, like a smoke through the door, it permeates and gets into people's hearts. And we think if I just do something, I can get closer to God or get God by my efforts through a prayer, through attending a service, through being a good person, through turning the other cheek. Boy, that religion is hard to get out of us. But when you come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a finished work. It is done. And religion must fly out the door if you're ever going to embrace the gospel of Jesus in its full entirety and full import. He does not start working until you stop working. He doesn't share you. He wants all of it. And when you stop trying, 
He begins to work. The greatest thing about Christianity and about the ministry is just watching what He does. We have incredible confidence of what God can do in all of our lives. I was talking to a dear saint the other day, struggling with her commitment to the Lord, that it was certain percentages. And this is what I said to her. Do not worry about what percentage you are committed to the Lord. Understand that He is fully, 100% committed to you. We don't think right. Our whole mind shift is wrong. Our paradigm of thinking is wrong. What a great day in my Christian life. And it took an awful lot of years. It took almost 20 years for me to begin as a Christian, to begin to comprehend that Christianity wasn't anything I did for him. It's what he has fully done for me and my receiving that every day and enjoying that. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to turn there. This is a communion service. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews was written by who know who. It was written probably to Jews who had a hard time leaving their religion. And Jesus, the writer, is going to make a powerful statement about the gospel and about Christ. Chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has a shadow a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Religion is a shadow. It's not real. I met with a a believer last Friday at lunch and I could see us becoming good friends. He is within a religious context where there is No reality. And he's asking uncomfortable questions of the leadership of that church. And he is beginning beginning to be labeled as a rogue radical. And uh, he's trying to get honey out of a rock. Religion is not reality. It's a picture of it. I had a picture of Karen when I was in the Navy overseas. I kept that thing right by, I kept it, every, I took it everywhere. It was a picture of Karen in her backyard because I didn't have her. I was coming back to get married. All I had was the picture. I wore that picture out. But when I got back and stepped off that ship, and there she was, I put the picture away because I had her. How weird it would be to get married and then go throughout marriage staring at a picture when I had her. My friend is not getting life where he's at. It's nothing more than a symbol and a picture. For since the law has a shadow, The good things to come instead of the true form of the realities. It can never, never, never. Let that word sink in. Religion will never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered 
every year, constantly. That's the thing about religion. There's no life. There's no spontaneity. It's the same practices, the same rituals, the same ceremonies, the same getting together, the same. It's hollow. It's dead. It's shallow. There's no, there's no reality in it. It gives you the illusion of something and doesn't let you bite into it. That's what religion does. It can never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. Since the worshiper having once been cleansed would no longer have any notice any conscience of sin. Consciousness of sin. This is what religion does. It constantly parades before you your failures, your sins, your inadequacies. It constantly dominates you with a thought of you. Of what you haven't done. Religion tells you to get up off your do-nothings and do something. It constantly tells you what you haven't done. Guilt is a major motivation within religion. Whether it's Christianity or any world religion. Something's wrong with us. We know that. Desperately at the root of it. My friend in that church has been labeled a radical. And they're watching him. I know the feeling well. Uh, a, A bit of... Etymology, uh, the study of the origin of words. Do you know radical comes from the Latin radish, which means the root of something. The root of something. Now it's evolved over the time to mean something out of the ordinary. But I'm telling you, Christianity gets to the very radical root of life. But for those who embrace religion, it is radical. It is something out of the norm. I like radical. I love the word, don't you? To go back to the root of what Christianity really is. Not the form of a religion. Notice verse 3. But these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. A reminder of how inadequate we are. A reminder that we don't measure up. And if you just tithe a couple more times, you'll get closer. And if you just come on visitation, you get really close. See? Look, if, if religion could satisfy you, it's, it's like a product that says it satisfies. Well, if it really satisfied, you'd only have to buy it one time. They'd be out of business. It goes on in verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for religion, even the Jewish religion that God established. Now, if God is going to set aside his own religion, what do you think he does with our religion? Not even in his mind. Verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, he looked up to the Father, You have not desired. You don't want our efforts, Father. The Father does not want our efforts and our religion. Notice, but a body have you prepared for me. This is Christ speaking. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. 
I'm trying to get you to change the paradigm shift of your mind away from anything that smacks of anything of human effort and trying. God has no pleasure in that at all. No pleasure. How many times have we been told if we just do these set of things, God will be pleased? He's not. There's no pleasure in that. You bring nothing. And then he says this, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is Jesus, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8 says, When he said above, You have neither taken pleasure uh, in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, that these were offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I come to do thy will. This is the point. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with our human effort so that he can take over. He sets aside any, any approach of ours to him so that we will open our hearts to him. You, look, you can't have both. You can't have both deals. You can't have trying harder and trusting deeper. The fact that you're trying harder to be a Christian eliminates your faith and trust that he will do it. He will carry it or you will carry it. He will not carry it until you put it down. Notice, he does away with the first. And by that will, what's the will there? That Jesus has come to do the Father's will. Listen, his perfect life. By that perfect life, we have been set aside to him. His perfect life, listen to me, in the gospel has become our perfect life. By that will, by that life, he has taken us out of this world and set us apart for him. Not by your life, but by his life. He eliminates you from the very equation. He takes you out of the way, has nothing to do with you. And by his life, he sets aside your life. His life was perfect. Well, you don't know me. My life wasn't perfect. That's not the point. It's not about your life. It's about his life. Okay? And then he says this, verse 10. For by that will, by that life, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I, I never do this as a preacher. I don't particularly like it when preachers do this, but I want you to repeat after me. Once for all. Do it one more time to satisfy me. I'll never ask you to do it again. Once for all. Never again. Done. Finished. Completed. He goes on in verse 11. And every priest stands daily. (laughs) And every service is preached weekly. And every visitation is gone on. And every ceremony is Ah, constantly, constantly, over and over again. Notice, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. It's insanity to do the same thing and expect different results. That can never take away sins. But when Christ had, notice, past tense, had offered, For all time, a a single sacrifice for sins, notice what he did. 
He sat down. You sit down when you're done with something. When you sit down, it's all finished. And I'm telling you, when God finishes something, it's finished. When I finish something, might be finished, might not be. Depends. I I might just get tired. This is all I'm doing, I'm done. I hope Karen doesn't catch me here. I'm finished. I'm going to tell you, when God finishes something, it's done. Completely done. Once for all. Listen, beloved. If you know Christ today, you are perfect before the Father. You were the moment you got saved. You are today. You will be for all eternity. Forever. There's never a time you look back and you're not as perfect as you are at this very moment. Because of His sacrifice. For you. I'm telling you, everything gets old. Everything wears out. Everything rusts out. John and... Uh, Betty, we're going by the Elks Moose Lodge or something on 17. And Betty said, what's that place? And he said, well, that's a place for old people. They go and they retire there. He said, like pop? (laughs) We're all getting older and rusting out. I don't care what you buy that's brand new. It's going to get old and wear out. Christ in you, your perfection will be as fresh and new as a baby's skin. <laughs> we were watching Avonlea and Benny yesterday, and uh, we were eating lunch, and Karen and I were doing, you know, the best. We're not used to babies. And after a few minutes, Benny piped up and said, Have you all never had a baby around here? <laughs> I said, Yeah, your father. Now be quiet. <laughs> we will be as fresh as a brand new baby for all eternity, perfected in Him. Notice it goes on, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. I like that, don't you? The Holy Spirit, He talks into you. And when I'm, the reason you're shouting and saying amen is not because of my words. It's because the Holy Spirit is inside of you saying amen to that. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying. I'm echoing what this is saying. And your spirit, the Holy Spirit, is saying amen in here. Amen, Liz? Amen. Amen. This is the covenant that I will make with them. I will make a covenant with them. You won't make a covenant with me because you'll break it. Religion is man's covenant and agreement with God. Birth in the pride of man thinking he can bring something to God. This is an agreement from there down to here. And it says this. I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. There's an intrinsic motivation. And it's not our love for Him. It's His life in us. How are we to live in holiness down here? Focusing on His life in us. And when we see His life in us, that is the great motivation to live holy and godly and the power that He, that he is in us. That I will write my holiness inside of them. I used to not watch certain TV programs because the preacher told me not to watch certain programs. I used to not go to certain movies because the preacher told me not to go to certain movies. 
But now I don't go to those very same movies because the Holy Spirit tells me not to do that. There's a world of difference in that. Before I was bitter that I was being restrained from seeing something I wanted to see. Now I'm happy, happy to obey His voice because it's His. The world of difference. And then he adds, look at verse 17. This is out of Isaiah 30, 33. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will not even remember them. You know, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to forget about it. I don't know if that's possible for we as human beings because we've got a mind and we remember the offense and we might be free from forgiveness, but we're watching you because we remember. God doesn't even remember. Verse 18, we'll stop there. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no more offering for sin. Because there's no more consciousness of sin. The Holy Spirit has come into the world to convince the lost person that they have sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Because they don't believe on me and John. It's the Holy Spirit's job for us to convince us of righteousness. Not sin. Because God has put away our sin. And we are not to think of our lives as sinful or sinners at all. There is no sin. It has been wiped out. Now, do we sin? Yeah. Does the Holy Spirit check us? Absolutely. And when he does, thank him for that. Agree with God. Thank him for forgiveness and go on. But watch this. He has put away our sin. What the Holy Spirit needs to do is convince us over and over again that we are a perfect ten. That takes some doing, doesn't it? Let me tell you, because you can take the person out of religion. It is hard to get religion out of people. 